Today's guest is Eliza Filmy, Generations Expert. We have more Uncanny Valley stuff later to come, I promise. And many interesting bits and pieces we collected in the past weeks for inspiration as well. So stay tuned for today's next show with Eliza Filby. I'm super happy to welcome you as the adult me. My name is Ina Feistritzer. I'm heading the next conference and platform and i'm delighted to host this show with our program curator um, and digital events expert monique van Dusseldorf. hello yes <laughs> and our favorite speaker david matten trend watcher from london hi everyone in this show and with the content events we produce at next we aim to shift your perspective on digital business we hope to trigger some thoughts and aim to invite you and a, um, and a diverse range of people to our stage. Today's speaker, as you've already heard, is Generations expert Eliza Philby. She really touched my heart and triggered many thoughts at the Next19 conference way back then, where we welcomed her as a keynoter. She will dial in from the UK in a minute. With her, we will be talking about changing behaviors, the impact of the corona crisis on different generations and families. And we will discuss what these changes mean for marketers and business strategists, as well as for employers. I myself can say that corona brought my family even closer together. And Eliza will explain in a bit how this is part of somewhat an ongoing trend. I live in Hamburg city center with my husband and two teenage boys. Although sometimes it feels that the younger one lives in Minecraft and the older one in Fortnite. Um, what I found very interesting to observe during the uh, lockdown situation was the changing nature of how they use platforms and which ones they use because it changes very rapidly. Um, and how TikTok, YouTube, Discord, Twitch, you name it, um, experiences made them try new things like baking bread or crocheting little bees or producing live streams themselves. Um, so what I find fascinating here is that learning is no longer necessarily connected to school alone. It becomes a much more individual experience and the children know the resources and learn new skills autodidactically. And I wonder how this corona experience cannot only weaken, but also strengthen this generation. What do you think, David? Yeah, thanks, Ina. Well, this, this week I've been continuing really my obsession with the future of work and what the pandemic and the arrival of the metaverse and remote working means for lifestyles and for employers. And I was particularly intrigued this week by um, an article in the Harvard Business Review that just reiterated the evidence around something that we've known for a long time, and that's the evidence around the idea that this constant stream of sort of multi-directional democratic conversation or what we might call small talk is a crucial determining factor when it comes to the success of teams and team creativity and innovation 
in particular. And we've known this for a long time. There were studies in the early 2000s that established this. Google ran a, a study in the 2010s called Project Aristotle, where they studied their highest performing teams. And they found the same thing. They found that constant democratic, informal, small talk or chit chat is a crucial determining factor for creativity and innovation. Um, people share random ideas, ideas collide, and occasionally something great emerges. Now, look, the reason this is so interesting now is because for the world of remote work or hybrid work, you know, home, often at home, that's a problem because remote workers typically only talk to one another in formal meetings on Zoom. And the evidence is clear that that is not the same thing at all. Formal meetings are not great for creativity and innovation. And that probably helps explain why, again, the evidence is that in 2020, knowledge worker productivity was stable, that was fine, but innovation and creativity, insofar as we can measure it, seems to have declined. So I just think this is an emerging, huge, fascinating problem for the coming decade. How are we going to recapture informal conversation, random conversation, inter-colleague chit-chat in a world of remote or hybrid working. And I think we're going to see a ton of innovation in the 2020s around that. Um, and surely a part of it is that a lot of it's going to end up happening in simulated worlds, in metaversal worlds like Fortnite, like Minecraft. I think our children are practicing for a world where they do a lot of creativity and innovation and colleague chit chat in those kinds of worlds. What do you think, Monique? If you know the metaverse, this idea that there are virtual worlds out there that you can move around in and are connected. And today, the breaking news came out that Epic Games raised $1 billion for its metaverse plans. $1 billion and $200 million coming from Sony. I mean, and Epic Games, if you don't know, they are the owners of Fortnite and also of the Unreal Engine. And this Unreal Engine is one of the world's most open and advanced real-time creation platforms for these 3D worlds. Now, there's an interesting interview with um, the CEO of uh, Epic Games where he, he really talks about um, the place to meet is in this world. The reason of their success is getting together with your friends to have social experiences. It's not about a game. The game is an excuse to come to these social experiences. And he actually uh, is quoted as saying, you know, eventually all companies will be in these worlds. This is the place where, you know, people will gather and, and connect and, and have chit chat, small talk, uh, connections. Um, so there's a really big bet on a virtual world to come. But if we look at all these online events right now, and, and you know, I study them and I look at them and I'm interested in them, um, you see that all these platforms are trying really hard to come up with this sort of serendipity. You know, if you get together around a talk or an event or an experience or workshop, how can we, you know, meet? How can we meet as if, you know, as if we meet in real life? Of course, you cannot. But the ways people come up with uh, to meet online are getting more interesting, I must admit. I mean, the very simple form of this is sort of chat roulette. You get connected randomly with another person or pre-selected other person for a short talk. And this can work. This can work. It doesn't feel completely informal in a way, but I've met some interesting people that way 
also met a lot of people trying to sell me software from India because I visit tech events. So there you go. Um, but there's also other ways to meet. And um, one of the things that I actually, to my own surprise, appreciated was a meeting in Old Space VR. I mean, I don't have VR glasses, so I just use this on my computer. Um, but you see a sort of, you know, 3D surrounding and there's little avatars representing other people there. And you can move around and listen to people. And when you get closer, you can hear them really well. You move away, you can, you know, you don't hear them anymore. And in that meeting, this was a Microsoft launch event. There was actually people standing around and then, you know, I just went over there and they were talking about interesting things. So I hung around for a while and I listened to them and it's actually really feel, felt quite well. And other options like this are spatial chat. I mean, I think the audio connections that we can make to people are so strong that just audio works as well. But in spatial chat, it's the same thing. You you move closer, you hear it louder. If you move away, it's less. No. And then there's Wonder and Vimo. And I think these new platforms are really interesting. And they, they all try to organize for serendipity. Um, but again, in the end, I think this this idea of the metaverse and you know online as a place to meet and interact for us maybe is you know forced. But for our kids, they've had one full year of training, so they know they know how to meet their friends online. And of course, they still want to see them in real life. So uh, kids will lead the way to the metaverse for sure. I think I think you're right. That is the that is the strong impression I get from the way uh, young people behave in these worlds right now. Is there? It feels to me like a form of practice for a life that's about to come. I'm still also intrigued by the kind of introvert extrovert dimension on all of this. I mean, for someone like me, chat roulette sounds more like a threat than a promise. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's very difficult for me to for me to picture connecting to a random person um, for a, for a chat over my sandwich. But that is enough of that. It is time now to introduce our very special guest, Dr. Eliza Philby, is a writer and speaker who specializes in generational intelligence. That means helping companies and organizations and all of us really understand generational shifts within politics, within society and within the workplace. Eliza has brought her expertise to a wide range of organisations, from Vice Media to the UK Royal Household. It's hard to imagine two more different <laughs> organisations there. HSBC, she's spoken at the EU's Human Rights Forum on Teenagers and Technology and the UK House of Lords Select Committee on Intergenerational Unfairness. Eliza published her first book, God and Mrs Thatcher, in 2014. She's currently writing her second, which is a history of ageing in the 21st century. She is passionate about the cause of age diversity and bringing the generations together through greater empathy. She's going to talk to us about all of this and more. Remember, during this session, Ina will be in the chat. You're going to have fascinating questions to ask Eliza. Drop them in the chat and Ina will tell us all about them. But right now, let's welcome Eliza Philby. Welcome, Eliza. We are so delighted to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for that amazing introduction. I mean, I just, where are you getting your energy from? I want some, <laughs> whatever you're taking. <laughs> it's all the coffee. It's all the coffee. I'll be brutally honest with you. Um, <laughs> That's more than enough from me. Eliza, the stage is yours and we will be back soon to talk. Over to you. 
Well, when I last addressed the next audience, gosh, that was in October 2019. And what a tumultuous time we've had since that time in Hamburg. I mean, really, it does feel like a completely different world, that stage and just standing up in front of real people and talking to an audience and actually seeing their faces. And, you know, COVID is and has been and continues to be, I believe, a real watershed moment for all sorts of reasons. And I think one of the things that is important to understand is that it is accelerating and has accelerated trends that were already happening. And none more so than in the world of work, obviously, but also within our homes. So I'm just going to share with you some of the research that I've been doing over the last 12 months about the impact of COVID on generations. I segment society, analyze society, the workplace, politics, and consumption through the prism of age, and specifically focus on the four generations that are dominating the consumer space, the political space, and the workspace right now. And that's the first up we have is the baby boomers. Just to give you a sort of well-rounded view, the baby boomers, that's the post-war generation, in many ways the privileged generation who've had quite a stable economic and work life and now are still in the workplace but are gradually moving into retirement. They are in many ways the privileged generation. One in five baby boomers in the UK, at least, is a millionaire. And they were the ones that were encouraged to buy houses, invest in pensions, and invest in their retirement. Next up, we have Gen X. Gen X is very much an, the ignored generation. No one really talks about Gen X, but they are the first tech generation. They were the Sonny Walkman kids that became the Crackberry, Blackberry adults. And during COVID, of course, they were the ones that were having to struggle, not only looking after their kids, potentially homeschooling, the trauma that that was, but also looking after their elderly parents, the most vulnerable during the pandemic, those in their 80s. Next up, we have millennials. And as a millennial myself, who has just turned 40, let me tell you, we are no longer young kids. The game is up. And the key thing about millennials is not only are they the best educated generation in history, not only are they the smartphone generation, which broke down the kind of rigidity between work and life and leisure, but also, of course, they are the ones that suffered during the most, uh, during, the most during the financial crisis and have, again, had their work life interrupted by the pandemic. Next up, we have Generation Z, and, and I think they're really beginning to find their voice as a generation. I'm going to call them the Corona Kids because really this has had a most profound impact on their socialization, their schooling, and actually their job prospects. It's Generation Z that have lost the most in terms of employment, and I think will kind of be the real victims of the economic fallout, however short or, or, or medium to long term that is. Generation Z, of course, is the generation that can't remember the 20th century. A lot of them can't remember 9-11. Many of them can't even remember the 2008 financial crisis. So in many respects, they are an enigma. But speak to Gen Z because you are eavesdropping on the future. As has already remember, um, been referenced, these kids are really finding new ways to connect, whether it being enforced because of lockdown or even just because new opportunities are being opened up to them through the very fact that the majority of them have had a smartphone in their pocket since they were 13. Now, these are the four generations in the workplace and in your homes and in politics right now. And, and I'm very passionate about the cause of recognizing what being a different gener in a different generation actually means. 
Everyone is a product of their time and their attitudes, their habits, their behaviors reflect the time at which they came of age. So in the workplace, for example, I'm passionate advocate of, um, and I promote this and proselytize this to companies, whatever sector they're in, about age diversity and appreciating the different generations and catering to all generations, not just young people, is crucial and is as important as appreciating gender diversity and racial diversity, because you need that mix of experience and ingenuity in your business. Now, obviously, over the last 12 months, we have had an age discriminant disease that has impacted the generations differently, whether you've been a baby boomer that has worked remotely in the comforts of your own office, quite enjoying, you know, the joys of not having to get on a plane, not having to go to the office every day, having the joys of looking out your window and seeing your lovely garden. Contrast that with the experience of a Gen Zer, you know, on their own, living in a small apartment, not being able to interact with their peers. Yes, au okay with the technology, but actually yearning for that physical contact and that detrimental impact on their mental health. So this is, I think, been a 12 months that, yes, in many ways, technology has created more humanity and greater connectivity. We can all see into our homes, meet our kids, our dogs, see our houseplants, and it's injected a humanity into the workspace. But ultimately, I think there's a real challenge as we move out of the pandemic into what comes next. And so the first thing I would say is, what does the era of hybrid working look like, not just for the company, but for those different generations because I think we are in danger if we look at the polling already it's clear that Gen Z are the ones that want to go into the office want that socialization want that learning hub want that collaboration and mentorship and it's the older generations with more familial responsibilities bigger homes nice work offices that don't want to be there as much we are in danger of creating an office culture where say you know Mondays, Tuesdays and Fridays are where the kids rule and Wednesdays and Thursdays are where the grown-ups come in and make the real decisions. So we need to be really careful about how we cater to all generations in this new era of hybrid working. And in fact, I'm writing a report about managing a multi-generational workforce in this new era, in this new watershed moment. And that means turning the office into a cross between a private members club and a university campus. It means catering for workers' well-being like never before. It means creating spaces but and a tech infrastructure that is as elaborate and easy as the office building itself, making learning bespoke, high-end and, and, and on-demand in a way that not just Generation Z want it, but all generations. And this leads me to my next point, because essentially we are living in a completely different and, and aging, I should say, in a completely different way to we did in the 20th century. In the 20th century, we had what's called a three stage life. We had our education and training up until the age of 21, if we were lucky to go to university, which was still only sort of hovered around the 10 percent of baby boomers. Then they had a sustained second stage period in which they were in a career, quite often just one career, invested in a home, invested in a pension, 
had children. Quite often that male breadwinner model that facilitated that transition. And then the third stage, of course, was retirement. And let's not forget retirement was a 20th century invention. Okay. And I suspect that baby boomers and perhaps some of Gen X will be the last generations to live that three stage life because millennials and Gen Z are not only living longer and living healthier lives, but they are going to be having to work longer. It's been estimated that Gen Z, for example, will have to work until they're 80 in order to fund and fulfill some manner of a retirement. It's also true, for example, that they are living in the AI age in which technology and the advancement of also a global graduate workforce will mean they will constantly have to upskill throughout their lives. They're not going to be able to rely on the education and skills that they earned when they were 21. They're going to have to constantly be upskilling. And indeed, they are very engineered as learners and will have to be learners throughout their working life. It's been estimated that Gen Z will have um, will work for over 17 different employers over the course of their working life and have five careers. Now, I speak from personal example, uh, a kind of example here. I am 40 and I've had three different careers in those in, in the sort of 19 years that I've been in the workplace. So in a sense, 19 years I've been in the workplace. So in a sense, we are moving into a period where work is much more multivarious, much more multi-stage, but also, and this is my final point, accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic is a reappreciation and a reinvestment and a strengthening of family. Now, I'm sure you can relate to the fact that these 12 months have been very tense and difficult for our families, all sorts of ways. But it's also brought us closer together. We are calling our parents much more. We are more involved in our schools, our children's homework much more. We are more perhaps knowledgeable and more intimate with our partners than before. It has brought us all closer together. But actually, that interaction, that closeness was already happening because the economic dependency that children still have on their parents well into their 30s, the bank of mum and dad, as is casually known, was growing and was growing with millennials and will grow with Generation Z. But likewise, we're moving into an aging society where millennials and Gen Z are going to spend a large part of their lives looking after and taking care and even maybe funding their parents into old age. We've seen over the last 12 months the home become a hub, the home become a centre point, become the place where you, you, know, you spend time, but also where you're spending your money, you're cooking, you're not eating out, you're entertaining at home, not going, not you know, having experiences outdoors. And I don't think that's going to necessarily reverse dramatically in the wake of the pandemic. I believe that the next three to five years will be real transitional years whereby the priorities of Gen Z and millennials will come to the fore and the diminishing demands of the baby boomers will fade um, into the distance. We will see, however, this continual struggle between the generations in the workplace and even in the home. And actually, whilst we talk about a generational gap in society, we must remember to empathise with each other and where we have come from and what our values are as different generations. But also remember that when we're thinking about the concept of generations, ultimately and truthfully, 
the way we consider it and conceptualizing in our heads is through our family. And that, I think, will be the enduring legacy, both within the centrality of the family in the home and that renewed sense of, of the home hub, but also the growing importance of the family and one's family identity at work and how hybrid working will have to facilitate those dual identities. Thank you very much. Thank you. What an interesting talk. And, and I, I guess you're completely right. We all think immediately of our own families and generations and, you know, how we work with our kids and our parents. And, um, one of the first, thing, first, first things that comes to mind is that when you describe this focus on the family and the home, it, it also sounds like a, a, a wonderful thing. But you could also argue that this focus on family and the home also is, is a sort of, it's not good for women, for instance. I mean, mm. men and women get new roles and I don't know, it, it doesn't feel good. I mean, there's figures, you know, from the United States where so many women have left the workforce to take care of the kids again at home because the schools are closed. Mm-hmm. The men could have done that at the same time. So, yeah, that's such a brilliant point. And I mean, there's two things I would say. I'm a pessimist on the one hand, because yes, you're right. This has been a very difficult time for women, particularly women, I think Gen X women, who perhaps are married to men that let's say are less progressive in what they do with the kids and what they do around the house. And I think, you know, I've spoken to numerous women who, you know, I spoke to one woman, I remember her saying, the only place I could take work calls was in the car because it was the only place I could get peace and quiet. And she was juggling not only the household chores, the homeschooling, but obviously her job. However, I do think that that companies have a responsibility to recognize that women are more likely to want to do more remote working. All polls suggest that women want to continue um, remote working, but they are not penalized for that. Let's be clear that presence in the office should not mean promotion, should not mean productivity. But it works like that, right? I mean, well, I think it does. That I think the last 12 months have been a real wake up call for leaders and men. Firstly, is how much gets done in the home. And secondly, how actually you can get work, you know, just because you're working from home on a Friday does not mean that you're, you're, you're does not mean you're slacking off. You are actually you are actually working. However, I would add to that, I'm a real pessimist, um, optimist on the one, um, if I look at future generations, if I look at millennial men, for example, and millennial dads more specifically, that's a generation who grew up um, majority with working mothers, who have married working uh, wives, whose career is and is viewed as as important as theirs. They are not, um, you know, they're not used to or even have a buy into that male breadwinner model because they can't afford it. You know, the male breadwinner model has died out because middle class families have to have both couples working, uh, both partners working, I should say. So I have hope optimism in millennial men and Gen Z men, particularly that that generation that have seen that kind of fourth wave of feminism, seen their mothers, you know, and what they've achieved. And I think really have a real sense of the equality of sexes, not only in the workplace, but ultimately in the home as well. And yes, the statistics on paternity leave are appalling. They're a bit better in Germany than they are in the UK. 
But I do think there are real reasons for hope. And I've seen men, you know, now, you know, with their kids running into Zoom calls and more men at nursery pickups and more men cooking dinners. And I do genuinely think that there are signs for hope as well as signs for caution. What about you, David? Well, that is good news. And I'm fascinated by how it all connects to, you know, you talked about the disruption of life stages. And I I find that so fascinating. And just the sort of raw fact that we're living so much longer and we're healthier for longer feels to me as though it just disrupts and has massive implications for exactly as you said, the kind of the life stage model that we still kind of inhabit of like, yeah, you know, go to school, get educated, have this career and retire. Mm. Um, And I wonder what you think businesses can do and managers can do to kind of forge a new model, essentially. I mean, one of the things I've, I've talked about is how it, when I had, when, when our children were born, um, it just felt insane that that's such a busy time in your career, mm. in your kind of, you know, often it's sort of early 30s, you know, late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s. It's such a busy time in your career and you've got these young children. And it feels like that model of, is, is very based on this idea that this old idea that your career is kind of going to end when you're 60. Yeah. You know, you really yeah. need to get on with it now. Yeah. And and can't we just have a big gap like in our early 30s, basically, and come back, right? Because it feels like we're living long enough to do that now. I think I think it's such a good point. I mean, the first thing I would say is we are living longer, but we are entering adulthood later. So, I mean, again, I didn't have time to talk about this, but I've done a lot on the rise of what I call kidults. Those 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 people, those it started with baby boomers actually, but it was more pronounced in millennials because they extended their education, is that they were reliant on the bank of mum and dad. This is graduate millennials, obviously, a certain class of millennials we're talking about here. Um, to a certain extent, they they had a real slow entry into work and slow entry into marriage, cohabitation, and certainly a much later um stage in life and having kids so you look at the five markers of adulthood financial independence from your parents the age at which you finish your education um get married have kids um, and leave home you know in some places you know in eastern europe you know the average age of a man leaving home is like 32 and and you know it's it's known as hotel mama because you know and bambino um babies in italy because it is such a phenomenon of people staying at home longer and that's partly economics but it's also the fact that actually we're getting on better with our parents than our parents did with their parents so it's cultural as well as you know the economic strengths constraints that millennials have so that's the first thing is is extended adolescence has had a huge impact on how companies can incentivize their millennials and now gen zers because you know you used to be able to incentivize people with a large pay packet and a nice pension. Those, you know, as we know, do not work anymore. You know, travel is a greater incentive for millennials than a nice pension. The other thing to say, I think, as well, is, is that you've got an issue here which no one really talks about because it's, I think, uncomfortable and personal, is that a woman's fertility cycle has an end point. Uh, their career cycle 
actually has an extended point. Uh, but the two collide, like you say, quite often in their early 30s, early to mid 30s. And I think there needs to be a recognition that, you know, there doesn't need to be a rush where there needs to be clarity is if you want kids or not, because there is a time limit on that. You know, I remember being at school and having all these lectures, these moral lectures about not getting pregnant at 16 and how teenage pregnancy was the worst thing you could possibly do. Actually, they should have been telling us about the fact that our you know, ability to have babies runs out at around, you know, your early 40s and you need to get on with it if you want them. So you know, it's, it's that it's that thing, isn't it, is that societal attitudes have changed. Women are better educated. Women are delaying parenthood for good reason. But actually, like you say, companies need to wake up to the fact that there shouldn't be a need or a pressure to rush into getting to a certain point in your career. And then uh, it's the idea that then you can have babies. You know, a lawyer friend of mine said, you know, I was basically told, you know, that uh, I should get to a certain point and then I would be allowed maternity leave. You know, then you would be allowed to go away for 12 months. And, and that is just unacceptable. I also am slightly uncomfortable with these recent trends in kind of companies such as Facebook and Google offering egg freezing services for women in their 20s and 30s. Yes, this is a work perk. Egg, you, you know, your company will pay to freeze your eggs. Now, I'm very uncomfortable with that because I think it's a kind of corporate intrusion intrusion into, your, you know, the female body. But it's something that is a respond. It's it's a perk that is dem- is a response to workers' demands. You know, women genuinely, and perhaps quite rightly, having to think about these things in their twenties, knowing that making a decision like egg freezing would make sense if you you know don't that you're having your kids until your early forties. So. You know, in answer to your point, David, I think you're absolutely spot on. These are, you know, we're talking about a 21st century life cycle. We're talking about a recalibration about how people age. And I I really do think as well is that women shouldn't be penalized for that. Women shouldn't be penalized for when they want to have kids, but also, you know, when they look after their parents, because looking after an elderly relative with Alzheimer's is as demanding as looking after a toddler who can't speak. So, you know, and I hate for the ageing society, the burden of the ageing society to fall on women disproportionately. I have an awful feeling it might. Again, just at that point in their 40s and 50s where they perhaps were relinquished some of the pressures of parenthood and then have to have to um, start looking after their parents. So I, I do I do have sort of major worries about all of those social social shifts. I do. And those are global, by the way, as well. We're talking yeah, I mean, about thing. This is they've got huge issues um, in Asia and America as well. The yeah. state will not pay for the aging society, um, and I, you know, I, I, I just, I just worry that the family and therefore women will, mm. but in time rather than money. Okay, we we have some questions from the audience out there, so I think we should tackle those as well. We have three questions. Let's see if we can do all three. Um, and the first one is, you were talking about families getting closer together. Nina uh, is the question, the person who was asking and asked, what does this development mean for marketing? How do you market to those families, I guess? Um, it's a great question because I think it means a lot for marketing. I think we need to be thinking about 
as I said, families. I mean, we would have, uh, and I'm sure you'd have been aware the last 12 months, the way in which Gen Zers have kind of got their parents on TikTok, doing TikTok dancing. You've seen Gen Zers or millennials helping their baby boomer parents shop online. Um, you know, you're seeing a real cross-generational influence um, and that's going both ways as well. Whether you know, I, I in, within my own family have my mother living with us, and she's teaching us how to make bread. You know, so that kind of cross fertilization of ideas, experiences, and and purchases are, are I think, um, have intensified over the last twelve months. But actually, again, was an existing trend. You have seen the rise of multi generational holidays, for example, not just about eighteen to thirties holiday package holidays. Now it's eighteen to seventy. You know, three generations going on holiday because millennials realise that grandparents make great babysitters. So you know, there's there's all sorts of ways in which the family um, is is doing things that they didn't do before. I mean, it's quite culturally um, acceptable now to have your mother or your mother-in-law come on your hen party before your wedding. You know, so and that's part of the reason for that is baby boomers have aged differently. You know, uh, my mum. I mean, it just, I guess it also depends a little bit what country you're in uh, with all the corona rules. But yeah. um, I know so many people, I mean, my parents included, who haven't seen their grandchildren for a year yeah. now. Because, yeah. you know, so there's a whole generation that missed out on one and maybe even two years eventually mm-hmm. of getting to know their grandparents. I mean, yes, but also, I mean, you've touched on a really important thing there, which is the role of grandparents in helping women to work. I mean, grandparents now perform huge amounts of time and duty, grandmothers, I should mostly say, grandmothers helping out um, for childcare because the cost of childcare, whether in Germany, France or the UK, is incredibly expensive. So, and, and I think grandparents and, and the role that um, they have in childcare is for millennials in particular has been huge. And, you know, again, that's just further evidence of this closer uh familial relations i mean i would say that in terms of a marketing perspective it's it's really important to think about multi-generational marketing and to tap into the humor of that the warmth of that um you know and not just think of the family as some as as a group that get together at christmas and potentially birthdays and celebrations it's something it's the family the multi-generational family is something that are cohabiting, are, 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 you know, texting and instant messaging or TikToking or, you know, interacting on a on a much more intimate level than I think was previously true. And that's partly also because they are economically entwined. Um, So I think, you know, I don't see enough of, for example, um, an accurate representation of, of, millennial relationships with their parents and vis-a-vis their kids. Um, I know a lot of millennial friends who are now having to parent their parents. You know, I was in the situation where I was having to, you know, scream down the phone at my mother to tell her not to go out and not to leave the house. You know, there's that strange reversal that happens within families, inevitably, where the child becomes the parent. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of happening. And then you've got this kind of weird cross values of, of you know, my mum feeds my son rubbish. Like she's forever giving him jam. 
And, you know, I'm like, here's the almond butter. And she's like, no, here's the sugar. And so you've got this really like, you know, this kind of rather harmless, but definitely there, that intergenerational tension and clash of values, priorities and, and expectations as well. And that really cent- sets, is centred on, on, on the kids. But I think you're, if you look at Gen Z and their um, parents, their relationship with their Gen X parents is really interesting as well. As I said, I talk about um, parents on TikTok. You're seeing also um, shared fashions, you know, mother and daughter, um, you know, mothers in their 50s wearing what daughters in their 20s are wearing, you know, twinning, as it's called on Instagram. You know, there's there's a real sort of mother and daughter in particular, but also father and son sort of closening, you know, of that age gap and sense of being a parent that is still quite young, even though they're in their 50s. And again, it harks back to that unifying theme here, which is we are aging differently. We are aging differently. So we need to really sort of recalibrate what we mean by what is a 50 year old and what are their priorities? What is a 20 year old and what is their priorities? You know, there was a poll done recently on German teenagers. um, And they said, who do you look to for advice? Who does who advice do you most respect? And they didn't say their peers. They didn't say, you know, Instagram stars. They said their parents. Oh, and, that's good then. <laughs> you know, I think it, I don't know, I don't know my kids. But it also reflects that, you know, Generation Z are incredibly puritanical, serious generation. You know, they're not smoking or taking drugs or having as much sex as young people did in yesteryear. And they're not kind of being young in that kind of adolescent way. They're quite serious, you know. They're saving the planet. They're oh, not. I, I, I wish. I wish that was also all true for Amsterdam. Does you? <laughs> I can tell you that the teenagers of Amsterdam have discovered drugs this year, to no end. I mean, seriously, this is this is one of the biggest problems. So we have two more questions, but we probably don't have time to answer all of them. But just very quickly, one Generation Alpha. You talked about this. Matthias is asking. Um, in, uh, at your previous talk, and um, what is the main topic for this group during the crisis? Generation Alpha. I've I've actually written an article about this, about the impact, the long-term impact of what I think, you know, too much hand washing and staying indoors and no school will do to this generation. Um, generation Alpha, I think, the lasting legacy of all of this will be they were the they are the generation that will see most of their parents. They will see their parents at home. They will see their parents working, and they may you know, get to know their parents more than any previous generation of kids before them and actually see their encounter of work much earlier as well. And that may well influence the decisions and the kinds of careers they go into. And also it means that their parents can't nag at them for too much screen time because that's what they see their parents do (laughs) all day. All day, actually. Yes, that's true. David. That's certainly true. I mean, yeah, my two boys, you know, they watch me kind of stand here and scream into this um, screen all day. And uh, yeah, it's so it's such a strange experience of a year they've had and watching me work at extremely kind of close quarters, too close, I would say, too close. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much more to talk about. And I have further questions. I know people in the audience have further questions, <laughs> but there's good news because we can address those questions and we can do that talking on Clubhouse right after the show. We'll be live inside Clubhouse with Eliza talking about all of this further. But now 
Monique has news of one final thing to do. Yes, it's time for one last thing. <laughs> that is next world. Okay, imagine this. It is the near future. And amid an increasingly acute crisis on planet Earth, a crack team of technologists finalizes a daring plan to start a new chapter for humanity. They will travel along with 1,000 especially selected people far beyond the solar system to planet next one. And there they will establish a permanent base, a new society, a new home for human beings. All right, Eliza Philby, thank you <laughs> for your outstanding achievements in the field of generational research, because this means you have been chosen to be among those first thousand pioneers to travel to next one. Okay. But before you undertake your journey, you must answer five questions. Let's see question one. Name one luxury physical object you want to take to your new home. What would that be? Oh my gosh. Do you know what I think it would be if I were genuinely being asked this? I, I think it would be anti-back, antibacterial. Uh, <laughs> Washing my hands. Anti-back. <laughs> you arrive on this planet and you want to be clean. I can't, okay. I can't, I can't do without it right now. So yeah, I that's get my it. luxury. I get it. <laughs> Second question. Which book should everybody read that goes to this planet? So those thousand people, what should they read? The 100 Year Life. Yes. Okay. 100 Year Life. It's very cool. And... Um, in our on our new planet i mean you know just potentially none of it will apply because we maybe won't survive that long but um i did for a thousand years who knows huge 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 questions to be answered and yeah it's a great book thank you name one exceptional person who should qualify to be among those thousand people not your family and friends just one exceptional person that really should be there well, I, I think it would have to be the poster girl for Gen Z, the one that's trying to save planet Earth right now, which is Greta Thunberg. Ah, yes. Okay, good. She needs uh, saving as well, and then we can take her along and she makes sure our planet is clean. <laughs> Let's create one law that bans something from next one forever. Oh, okay, right. Definitely Zoom drinks. <laughs> Zoom drinks. They're a terrible idea. They don't work. So you don't like to be, you know, the doorbell rings and there's this little package with the olives and the nuts and the one little... No? Okay. Good. No, that does not create company culture, really. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. I think... Well, I think they is, should be... is there an alternative to Zoom drinks? <laughs> Hopefully. IRL, very soon. We'll find something on a new planet. Okay, and this is a really big one. Name one tradition from planet Earth that should be replicated on next one. What is the tradition that really touches you? Do you know what I love? And this is quite old fashioned, but saying grace before a meal. Hmm. I love that. And I'm not religious, but I love it. Okay, that's very good. Thank you so much. Thank oh. you so much for your insights, Eliza. That was so <laughs> yeah. interesting. And there were so many points in there. You touched upon the change of workplace, the impact of Corona on the different generations. Um, we discussed the impact on marketing. It was a full bunch. And um, it was a real pleasure having you as our guest today. And I'm really looking forward to um, diving a bit 
deeper into the conversation right now, discuss some, some talking points there with our audience. Um, and so I invite everyone to join I, us there. Would I be just able to say I, a lot of the stuff I was talking about today is articles I've written over the last 12 months on coronals, millennials, all of that. Um, go to my website, www.elizafilby.com. Thank you. Yeah, amazing stuff. Some of them we also used for our newsletter, which was great. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Um, so. As I said, I hope you meet us at the Clubhouse session. Should you watch this on demand, you unfortunately missed the live extravaganza, but you can sign up for our live show on our website, NextConf.eu, so you'll never miss the next live event again. So talk to you in a bit at Clubhouse. And thank you, Liza. Bye. Bye. Next time, our guest will be the design strategist and maker Dara Dots. She is a true champion of change and the founder of Field Ready, an NGO focused on manufacturing humanitarian supplies. And I'm super happy uh, that she'll join us in May. So thank you for watching today and a big thank you to the team behind the scenes as well, Stefan Merle, Harshit and Juliane. And of course, a big thank you to our partners, Accenture Interactive and Factor 3 our media partner T3N and our live stream and webinar partner 23. Thank you and see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye see you everyone. next time. We'll get a vaccination now. <laughs>